okay, we don't need all these other Christmas trimmings, you know, um, to, to make us happy, to make us fulfilled. Oh, I'm sorry, kids can go back to their practice. Yep, sorry about that. Kids can go back to their, their play practice. But again, what I want to show you today is that there is a true wonder of Christmas, that what God does in the Christmas narrative of the, all the stories in the Bible surrounding Jesus' birth should make us bow before him and wonder and lift our eyes up to him to see his beauty and to experience him and to trust him. I think one of the, the great wonders of Christmas is, is the confidence that it brings us. And this is what I'm going to show you today. It brings us a great, a great amount of uh, confidence in God and in salvation. And that allows for these things like hope and peace and joy that are generally the, the mantra of Christmas season. You know, when we think about Christmas, we say, well, why do we celebrate the birth of Jesus? Say, well, you know, he, he was the, this, this great religious leader. Well, there have been lots of great, seemingly great religious leaders uh, throughout the history of the world. I think about uh, Gandhi, I think about Muhammad, I think about Ellen G. White, Joseph Smith, on and on and on. There are all these people who claimed that they had a special word from God, if you will. They, they claim to have special revelation, and all of them claim to have the final word on how a person can be saved or reach utopia or paradise or whatever the goal of their uh, religion happens to be. And so the, the question for us today that, that I want to spend a, a bit of time answering is, why trust Jesus? Why, why not all these other leaders? How, how, how does he, uh, you know, separate himself from the pack? What makes him more trustworthy than any of these other leaders who have ever lived in the history of the world or ever will live in the history of the world? And that brings us back to why do we celebrate Christmas? Why do we celebrate the birth of Jesus? Well, I'm going to read for you today uh, a passage. Uh, you see it up there on the screen. It's Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through chapter 2, verse 23. So I'm going to be reading just a, a few verses here in chapter 1 and then all of chapter 2. And what we're going to see is Matthew really, really wants us to know why we should celebrate the birth of Jesus. Matthew wants us to know why we can trust Jesus, even though there may have been many false prophets, false religious leaders uh, in the past, and that there would still be other ones. Matthew wants us to know that we can trust Jesus. And as we'll see as we move through here, this will give us a great confidence, and that is the wonder of Christmas that we can have confidence because of what God accomplished that first Christmas day. So follow along as I read. I'll probably read decently fast because I think you guys um, know this story, but I'm going to slow down and add emphasis to these times that Matthew is making sure we know that we can trust Jesus. So let's begin in verse 18 of chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Here we go. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, here we go, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with, mother, with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they but departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. Here's another one. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise, wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go back to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Ju Judea in place, yeah, in, in, <laughs> over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. Here we go, final time. So that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Do you notice all that? So that it may be fulfilled what was spoken by the prophets. Matthew wants to give us confidence. He wants us to have wonder at all these things that come together to give us confidence through Christmas. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for your word, the Bible that you've given us as a precious gift to Instruct us, inform us, and let us know what is true and what is false. And God, I ask that you would use your word today to remove any doubt from the minds of listeners and to help them believe with full confidence that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the Savior, the one and only true Savior. And God, would you fill our hearts with wonder as we, we see your character through this and your, your mercy and compassion even towards us. 
to build the, this confidence in our lives, both for our salvation and for all of our circumstances. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as we've read here, Matthew wants us to know something. Matthew wants us to know something, and I'm calling it this, the wonder of divine prophecy. So prophecy, and the way I'm using that word today, is something like foretelling the future, right? It's, it's, it's letting us know what is going to happen at some upcoming time. Now, in the Old Testament, you have um, kind of two kinds of prophets, right? You have true prophets that God is really speaking to them, and they are really carrying a message that God has given them uh, to, to other people, to uh, the world or to the Israelites or whoever. But then you have the, the other kind of prophet, and that is a false prophet, right? These are people who act like they hear from God, or maybe they uh, believe they heard from God, right? Um, I think there, that some people genuinely believe they hear from God, but are in fact false prophets. So because of that problem, not knowing, you know, okay, who, who are the true prophets? Who are the false prophets? What are the true prophecies? What are the false prophecies? God gave them a test by which they could discern whether or not a prophecy was true. And, and as you'll see, it's, it's a pretty simple test. It's actually just logical. It's not like a, a miracle uh, type of uh, way of knowing. It's in Deuteronomy 18.22. I'll, I'll read it for you. Deuteronomy 18.22. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, so he's saying this is from God. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So there, there's the test, okay? This isn't crazy. It's like God just saying like, hey guys, you, you can't figure this out? Like, the way you can know whether or not a, a prophet is true is by whether or not their prophecy comes true. Now, that all, doesn't always help you in the moment, by the way. This is kind of a foresight or a, a hindsight is twenty twenty kind of thing. It's like, um, you know, like, okay, they said this prophecy, but I don't know right now if it's true. But afterward, you can know, okay, that either came to pass or it didn't. That prophecy was either from God or it was not. Okay, this is super important for what Matthew's trying to point out for us. Because, you know, we, I already mentioned this at the beginning. We have all these other um, so-called prophets of God. Muhammad, Gandhi, uh, Ellen G. White, Joseph Smith. Again, there are many others. Those are probably the most well-known. And so how do we know that their, their prophecies, what they were saying, wasn't really from God, and how can we know that Jesus is the true Savior? Well, we apply the test that God has given. These people throughout the Old Testament, the Messiah was a major theme of the, the, the Old Testament. Um, I might have said New Testament a second ago. The Old Testament, the, the major theme, in fact, the Whitlocks are going to do uh, a thing tonight at the Christmas party showing the thread of the Messiah all the way from Genesis 3 at the fall, thousands of years ago, uh, up to the day that Jesus was born. The Messiah is what the people were awaiting for. This, this is what the people, at least the people who cared about God, uh, hoped for. It's all that they, they had. And so... There were all these prophecies that God had given of the way the Messiah uh, would look, what the Savior, uh, what the circumstances would, would look like. And so the question is, were those prophecies back then true? Were, was Micah speaking the truth? Was Isaiah speaking the truth? Were, were these other prophets speaking the truth? Was it really from God? And then on the other hand, if all those prophecies get fulfilled, it proves that Jesus is the true Messiah. So five times in this passage alone that, that, we, uh, that you guys followed along while I read, we see something like this up there on the screen, Matthew 1, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. 
And so we see some version of that four other times as we read through there. Every time I would pause and, and say, here it is, you know, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And so this is, this is wondrous. This is amazing that these prophecies are being fulfilled. And we'll look a little deeper into these prophecies in just a moment. But the, the logic, again, is, is plain. This isn't some mystic knowledge. This is just using plain logic. If someone said something would happen hundreds of years beforehand and said it was a word from God, I mean, we're talking specific things, not that the sun will come up. You know, these are very specific things, and those things come true, then it must be a word from God, because only God can know the future with any sort of specificity. And then the one who is the fulfillment of those prophecies must be the true Savior. And that's what we see with Jesus. Again, five times we, we see uh, Matthew just in this passage, five times. There are tons more. By the way, even in this passage alone, I could list for you three other prophecies that are fulfilled that he doesn't explicitly say this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets. But five times he gives us explicit this was to fulfill these prophecies that were given hundreds of years beforehand. Now, some of you may still be uh, skeptical. You might say, well, what if Jesus just happened to fulfill these prophecies, right? Just coincidence. He's just a guy, you know, uh, that, that's born and he just happened to fill, fulfill these prophecies. Right place, right time. Or... What if Jesus' parents were trying to fulfill these prophecies and, you know, because they're like, oh, we want our son to, to appear to be the Messiah. So maybe they just went around trying to fulfill all these prophecies. And, you know, that would be a big problem. If, if you're a skeptic, you're right. That would be a big problem. And I would even say it is possible that someone might accidentally fulfill one or two of these prophecies. In fact, I bet there were other people uh, that were being born around that time that did fulfill some of these prophecies. And so if Jesus fulfilling these prophecies is just an accident, not a divine uh, event, then that's a big problem. That means that, um, number one, either the, the, the Bible isn't true because its prophecies aren't really, uh, you know, happening. It's just random events its prophecies aren't really being fulfilled or maybe the bible is true but the jews are right and we are still waiting for the messiah and we are all wrong and wasting our time here but that leads us to our next point number two oops the wonder of divine complexity the wonder of divine complexity what i mean by that is these prophecies are, are not vague. They're not open-ended. They are very specific. They're very complex. And as we'll see in just a moment, some are miraculous. And so I, I want to show you that, that God fulfilled, or that, uh, that Joseph and Mary could not have like fulfilled these on purpose. And Jesus couldn't have just fulfilled all these on accident because these prophecies are so complex. Let me show you this. There's three reasons, or two reasons rather, two reasons uh, that these uh, prophecies were complex. Number one, some prophecies were impossible. You say, what are you talking about? Well, some prophecies are things that a human being cannot do. They're impossible unless you are God to fulfill these prophecies. I think of uh, two specifically um, within this um, text, but the main one would be just the virgin birth that we see in Matthew uh, 1, 18 to 23. Uh, so I'm going to read that again, Matthew 1, 18 to 23. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then verse 22, all this, Matthew's telling us, all this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the prophet. Specifically, he's talking about Isaiah 7:14. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So, in Isaiah, some 600 years beforehand, or, or uh, wherever that would be, Isaiah wrote that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and this will be Emmanuel, God with us. Okay, I um, don't know uh, everything like scientifically about birth, um, but I do have three kids, so I have some idea how kids are made. And I will tell you what I do know for sure is a virgin cannot have a child. A virgin cannot conceive and bear a son. And, and mind you, this is a, a couple thousand years before in vitro fertilization was even uh, in their thinking. Um, but this simply could not happen. But God did it. He did this miracle. Mary and Joseph couldn't make a divine birth happen. You could, by the way, I'm not going to go deep into these. You could, by the way, think about the miraculous star that led the wise men to Jesus here in Matthew 2. You have uh, this unnatural, unnormal star that appears, and they, the wise men recognize it from the east. They travel over to Israel. Then after talking to Herod, the star went before them and led them to the place where Jesus was and came to rest there. I mean, that, that, that's a miraculous star in my book. And then I, I even think about um, all these angelic appearances and, and messages. These are miraculous things that could not happen. Some prophecies were impossible. The star, by the way, uh, most people believe was, was prophesied in Numbers. I, I don't have the actual uh, verse written down here, but in Numbers, I want to say 24. Anyway. Now, that's one thing. These pro some prophecies were impossible, but other prophecies were improbable for one person to fulfill. Okay? This, this, is, where, this is where things get a little bit interesting. Some of these prophecies were, were so complex and varied in their nature that they almost seem contradictory. Or, or that like, okay, no, no one person could actually be this, but also this. Yet Jesus fulfills these prophecies. First, we can think about where Jesus would be from. Someone might ask you that question, so where was Jesus from? How would you answer? That's kind of a tough question, right? Because it has a complex answer where Jesus was from. Well, let's look at it in our text. Uh, Matthew 2, verses 1 through 6. You know, I'll skip down to uh, verse 5. So the priests and scribes uh, are, are looking and telling where the, the Messiah is to be born. They told him, verse 5, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And now they're about to quote Micah 5, 2. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So here's what you have is that the, the, high, the high priests and the scribes are religious experts. So they would have been experts on the, the prophecies of the Savior, the, the, this Messiah, this one who would be a Savior King. And when they are asked where he will be born, they know the answer because Micah told them there, O Bethlehem, from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So, okay. You say, well, then their problem solved. Where's Jesus from? He, he's from Bethlehem. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Not quite. Let's, let's think about where he spent his early childhood. Matthew 2, verses 13 to 15. Now, when they had de departed, that is the wise men, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. 
and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, specifically Hosea 11.1, 1, out of Egypt I called my son. Say, Okay, so there's this prophecy that, that the, the, the son of God, this Messiah, this Savior would be called out of Egypt. So how can he be, be born in Bethlehem, but then he's called out of Egypt? Well, well here you go. The complexity. Herod wants to kill, kill Jesus, and so they travel there and will be called out. But it keeps on getting a little more interesting. So that's where he spent his early childhood as Egypt, born in Bethlehem, early childhood in Egypt. But where did he uh, grow into adulthood? Matthew 2, 19 to 23. <clears throat> but when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So you have this other prophecy that had been saying that the Savior would be a Nazarene. Okay, so he's, he's going to be from Bethlehem, he's going to be from Egypt, he's going to be from Nazareth. How, how can that all be in one person, right? How can one person fulfill all these prophecies and be from the same place? Well, here you have this complex uh, three prophecies fulfilled. He's born in Bethlehem, he's called out of Egypt, and he is called a Nazarene because that's where he grew into adulthood. This is remarkable. This is, this is quite complex. I've moved around a, a good bit in my life. Um, honestly, you know, like uh, just within the Chattanooga area, I mean, truly, I haven't moved nearly as far as they moved each trip. Some of those were 40 miles, 80 miles, 106 miles, I believe, all the way back up to Nazareth. And, and we are a much, much, much more transient culture than they were back then. Like, uh, we, we move around because it's, it's pretty easy. You know, we, we can work uh, remotely. We can uh, fly to other places. We can use a moving truck to move our things. They did all this on foot. They didn't just, you know, couldn't work remotely from their laptop. This was uncommon for people to do things like this. And yet, Mary and Joseph, a poor couple, had their child in Bethlehem. We're called out of Egypt, and then we're, Jesus was called a Nazarene because they moved back there. By the way, there are other complex ones. This next one, I, I'm, I'm still deciding how deep I want to go into it. Uh, this is that Jesus, the, the Savior, the Savior King, will be in the line of David, okay? Uh, most of you probably know that. This is, this is uh, the, the son of David that, that they say, and... Um, 2 Samuel 7, by the way, is where that prophecy is given, that there will be one who sits on your throne forever. This is talking about the Savior King. Now, the problem is that in Jeremiah chapter 22, one of David's kingly offspring has a curse put on him. Okay, it's Jehoiakim. Is the, is the king of Judah, and a curse is put on him. I'll just read it for you. Jeremiah twenty-two thirty. 30. There's the second half of, half of it. None of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. And then again in chapter 36, uh, verse 30. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jeho Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have none to sit on the throne of David. Okay. So, you have the prophecy and the promise that the Savior King will be born in the line of David, the kingly line of David. But then you have a curse that says it will, the, the, the kingly line will not continue. 
how can that be fulfilled in one person? And the way that it's done, by the way, is uh, in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3. This is the part I can't get too deep into. The genealogies are different, okay? The genealogies are different. You have two different genealogies. Um, some would say these are alternate renderings of uh, Joseph, that he had a different father by Leverite marriage, um, which would be that his father died and one of his brothers marries his mother, which was uh, part of the law. Anyways, uh, there, there's other ways, or he could have just been adopted, but some way he had a real biological father, and then he had a legal father, and between those two things, he is able to be in the kingly line of Jesus, or of David rather, but also avoiding the curse uh, placed upon Jehoiakim. Again, if that's confusing, that's the whole point. That's what I mean. <laughs> These are complex prophecies that had to be fulfilled by one person. This does not happen on accident. You cannot even purposefully fulfill these things. They are so complex and intricate, not to mention the miraculous ones, uh, the, the impossible ones that we already talked about. And so there's no way around it. I, I kind of had this um, slide earlier. These fulfilled prophecies, especially these complex ones, prove that the Bible is true. How can you know a prophecy is from God? It actually happens. It actually happens with specificity and perfection. Well, that happened over and over and over with Jesus, with all these Old Testament prophecies. So the Bible is true. And then all those Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled were fulfilled in Jesus. So that means Jesus is the true Savior because the meaning behind all those prophecies was this one who fulfills this prophecy, will be the Son of God. He will be Emmanuel, God with us. He will be the Savior King. He will be the one to crush the serpent's head. And so, the wonder of Christmas is that God wants you to have confidence. God wants you to know that Jesus really is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but by Him. Jesus wants you to know that he really is the bread of life, the water of life, the one who satisfies all your deepest desires. Jesus is the one who really lived a perfect life, really was nailed to a cross, and really had God's wrath for our sins poured upon him. But then he really rose from the dead three days later. And that means you really can trust in him and that accomplished work and be saved. Your sins are forgiven and your relationship is made right with God. You have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I mean, that, even if you're not a Christian, you know that verse. The way you can know that verse, John three sixteen, is true is because what we see in Christmas. There are lots of other evidences, by the way, but this is a very strong evidence. These prophecies, even incredibly complex ones, because they're impossible or they're just incredibly improbable for one person to do it, shows that the Bible is true and that Jesus is the Savior. So this is, this is good news, guys. This is how we can have hope, peace, and joy because of Christmas. I bring you glad tidings of great joy, is what the angels said. For unto you is born this day a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. You can know that is true, that the angels weren't lying. <laughs> Your Bible's not lying. I'm not lying. This is awesome. Some of you say, I'm a Christian. I know. Isn't confidence awesome, though? I like to put my head down on my pillow at night knowing that what I'm believing, what I'm putting my whole life on, is true. I like that a lot. That brings me a lot of hope, peace, and joy. And if you're a skeptic, you can have that joy too. Because God has given you confidence through Matthew 1 and 2, five times these prophecies written hundreds of years ago are fulfilled, complex prophecies, impossible prophecies, fulfilled in one person, Jesus Christ. You can have confidence that Jesus is the Savior. 
But there's one other thing I, I want to show you here. This is the wonder of divine sovereignty. Sovereignty is kind of another word for saying in control, able to do whatever he wants to do, able to make happen whatever he wants to have happen. That's, that's sovereignty. And so another wonder that we are shown by these prophecies fulfilled, being fulfilled is the wonder of divine sovereignty. And what I want to show you is that this, this Christmas theme that God is in control can give you confidence, not just for your salvation, but for your everyday life. That the circumstances, the trials, the troubles, the pains that come into your life are 100% a part of God's plan, and God uses problems to fulfill His promises. We're going to see that pattern here, okay? God is entirely sovereign. First, we'll kind of hit that. God is entirely sovereign, and, we, and God's sovereignty is seen first in miraculous events. Okay, again, a, a virgin cannot uh, have a child. And I, I love this, by the way. It's explicitly there in Luke chapter 1. This is uh, the angel speaking to Mary. He's told her, you are going to have a child, though you are a virgin, and by the way, your, your relative Elizabeth, though she is um, of years and has been barren, she hasn't been able to have a child up to this point, she too will have a child. And he says, Luke one thirty seven, for nothing will be impossible with God. The, the beauty of the Christmas story is the one that we serve, the one that we worship, even the one that was born on Christmas Day can do the impossible. He can do miraculous things like make a virgin conceive, like make a barren woman conceive a child. We can think again of the miraculous star in the sky that, that is so unique that the wise men notice it. Okay, I don't know how much you know about stars, but they are incredible things. I mean, they're just way bigger than earth by by. I don't even know the numbers, so many times, and the amount of power coming out of them is just absolutely unreal, unthinkable. And the Christmas story shows us that the same God who hung all the stars in the sky, spoke them into existence in Genesis chapter 1, still can hang this miraculous star in the sky and lead the wise men to Jerusalem. Then he can have it move and lead them to the very house Jesus is in. This is our God. This is my God. That's a big God. He's in control. And I even think of the angels God used to lead people to fulfill these prophecies. Um, I can't get my children to eat dinner. That's how unsovereign I am. <laughs> That's how un control I am of other people. I can't make other people do things. But God sends his angels and they, they go and they carry the message he's given them. These uh, miraculous, or uh, angelic beings rather. Secondly, God is seen as sovereign in mundane events. Probably this will apply more than the miraculous. Because I, I don't have that many crazy miraculous things happen in my life. I, I don't see miraculous stars or virgin birds or angels very often. But what I do have is mundane, boring times in my life. And I would say in those times, it is hard to trust that God is in control. But the wonder of Christmas, the beauty of Christmas is we see that God is in control even of mundane events. I don't know about you, um, but let's just be honest for a minute. The most mundane part of reading the Bible are the what? The, the genealogies. I mean, uh, when I'm reading through the genealogies or the listing of the tribes of Israel's, and this man was the head of the tribe, and here are the people who are the, the men of the tribe, and it's just going on and on and on. That's when, I mean, I'm just being honest, my eyes start to glaze over, and I start to question the uh, inerrancy of Scripture, because I'm like, this is just so rough. The genealogies are mundane. I mean, these are just, you're just like, who cares? You know, uh, there is a lot in them, by the way, but in general, that's how we think of them. So if you want to see that God 
is uh, sovereign over the mundane, I would turn your eyes no further than the genealogies. We talked about this, Matthew 1 and Luke 3, both have genealogies of Jesus Christ. And they had to be specific genealogies. They're not just listing the people uh, that, that, you know, did get married and the children they did have. It is showing that these people perfectly match the kingly line, but also avoid the curse. And they come together, so everything had to be just perfect to fulfill these prophecies. And you think about it, all these seemingly insignificant lives over thousands of years, all these seemingly insignificant marriages, even significant children who are born, then these children live long enough to get married and have their own children. You think about all the times these people could have married someone else, but they didn't. God was in control of these minute, mundane, seemingly insignificant events. God is interested in things like the genealogies. God is interested and involved in working in even the mundane events, even the genealogies. And so I tell you in your life, God is working in. He is sovereign over even the boring, the mundane I, I don't know how many times I've heard from moms say, like, I just feel like I'm just wasting my life away. All I do is, is like, you know, keep my children from uh, hurting themselves and make meals and then clean up after the kids. Like, that's all I do on repeat, do laundry and make meals. And I'll tell you right now, God is sovereign over those things, and he is using all those things to fulfill his promises to you. Third, we see here, God is, uh, God's sovereignty is seen in problematic events. Oh, uh, you say, this is the one I'm waiting for. I got so many troubles. Let's think a minute just how problematic uh, only the journey of uh, Mary and Joseph was that we're given in Matthew 2. So first, they fulfill the prophecy that, that uh, the Savior would be born in Bethlehem. But, you know, we got to take it, kind of zoom back a minute. Why were they in Bethlehem? Why, why were Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem? That was approximately 80 miles away from where they lived. And Mary's super pregnant. My wife doesn't want to travel 80 miles in the car <laughs> when she's super pregnant. And they travel, you know, maybe by donkey, maybe by foot. I don't know, maybe Joseph did the fireman carry. I have no clue how they, how they did 80 miles while she's super pregnant. Why were they there? Well, on the surface level, according to Luke 2, Caesar Augustus made a decree that everyone had to be registered in the hometown of their ancestors. Both of them were, were from the tribe of Judah, so both of them had to go to Bethlehem. That's on the surface level. It would have been real easy for them in that moment to say, ah, this is the worst timing ever. Have you ever said that? This is the worst timing ever for my car not to start. This is the worst timing ever for me to get sick. This is the worst timing ever for me to lose my job. But you're seeing things at the surface level. That's what Mary and Joseph likely would have been seeing. They, they don't know what's going on. I mean, they, they know that the Savior will be born in them, but I don't think they're thinking, I got to fulfill these prophecies. God knew what had to happen, and God was in control. Listen to this again, Matthew 2, uh, 4 through 6. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he, Herod, inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written uh, by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. From Mary and Joseph's point of view, Going to Bethlehem was a big problem, but God was using their problem to fulfill his prophecy. I'm not saying he turned their problem for good. I'm saying he caused their problem to fulfill his prophecy. And so the same is true for us. When we have problems come into our lives, you can know that it is God fulfilling his promises to us. Many promises God has given us. By the way, we can just keep going here just for a moment. Egypt, 
why, why would they want to go down to Egypt, right? Why would they, no one just says, hey, let's go live as refugees in Egypt for a while. That would be neat. Well, on the surface level, uh, we have there um, in verse 13, Matthew 2, 13, Now, when they, the wise men, had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So on the surface level, you have an insecure, murderously insecure king, right? who, who is, is viciously chasing after Jesus to destroy him. He later will have all the children in that area uh, killed to and under. So on the surface level, this is a pretty big inconvenience, a pretty big problem to have to go to Egypt. But again, this was to fulfill, verse 14, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. God was using their problem in order to fulfill his prophecies. And the same thing in Nazareth. They, did, they couldn't just go back to Bethlehem. They couldn't just go back to uh, Jerusalem, which if you have a king born into your family, Jerusalem's where you want to be. It's the capital city. The, 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 um, you know, where the king lives is there. The palace is the word I was looking for. Um, and the temple is there. So when you have a king who is also God in the flesh, Jerusalem makes sense, but they have to go to Nazareth. Why? Well, on the surface level, even though Herod is dead, his son still carries on the same uh, insane um, bitterness or whatever. And so they go to Nazareth. But on the true, behind the veil level, Matthew 2.23, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. God was using problems, actively using, even putting problems in their life in order to fulfill his promises and his prophecies. That, that's a gift to us from, from, from Christmas, that we can look at it and say, look how in control God is. Look how powerful my God is. He puts miraculous stars in the sky. He makes virgins have children. He's involved in the, the minutia of boring genealogy. And he is involved in the problems that come into our life. And he is using all of it to bring good into your life if you have trusted in Jesus. Right? I, all I'm saying is Romans 8.28, right? We have this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. Romans 8.32 he who did not spare his own son, he's talking about God the Father, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The point is, you can not only trust Jesus for your salvation, you can also trust him with your circumstances because he is sovereign. He can do what he wants, when he wants, and what he does is always good. And what he does is always for your good if you have trusted in Jesus, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So for me, that's, that's the wonder of Christmas that I, I want to, to share with you, that we can know for sure that, that Jesus wasn't just some guy that's then it's become a, a thing that we just celebrate. He's just another religious leader, but he kind of had a fun you know, a uh, holiday attached to it. No, Jesus is God. Jesus is the Savior King, just like what was prophesied hundreds and even thousands uh, of years beforehand. He fulfilled the prophecies with precision, even just in his birth. By the way, I've listed to you, I think, five prophecies uh, is what Matthew explicitly told us. Um, I told you three other ones that he doesn't explicitly say. There are at least 60 other prophecies uh, fulfilled in the life of Jesus, or 60 total rather, so 52 others that are fulfilled in the life of Jesus that are just as incredible, just as specific, just as complex. You can trust in Jesus even just by looking at the Christmas story, and you can be confident that God is in control of your circumstances by looking at God's sovereignty in the Christmas story.
It's complex. It's mundane. It's problematic. But God is in it. And so I, I invite any of you who have not trusted in this Jesus, that have been skeptical up to this point, to trust in him today. And any of you who are, are struggling to trust God in your circumstances, I, I would just invite you now as we close in prayer to, to, to give it to God now and just say, I trust you. You were working in Mary and Joseph's life, and I trust you're working in mine. Let's pray. Father God, I do thank you so much uh, for the Christmas story that it is in and of itself all we need for happiness and, and beauty and joy in the Christmas season. Not that the other things, the lights, the carols, the parties are wrong, but that all we really need is you. And God, I pray that you would even make the wonder of Christmas, the true Christmas story, make all the other things uh, that much more fruitful and impactful in our lives. That we can be so filled up with joy and confidence and hope and peace at knowing that Christ our Savior really came, that that spills over on the people around us, those who we have our family gathering, gatherings with, our parties, uh, and God, I pray that anyone who is in hard circumstances, and for everyone who will at some point be in hard circumstances, Lord, that they could think back even on the story of Christmas, on how you were entirely in control and using it for good. God, thank you that you've revealed such things to us. Thank you that you've given us the, the wonder of Christmas. And I ask now that you would make wonder turn to worship that we would worship you as we stand in awe of the Christmas story. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Uh, I love that sermon this morning. As we, if we want to find that wonder, where do we look? We look to Jesus. We turn to him. We see the wonder in his face. We see the light in his glory and grace. Let's sing together. Turn your eyes.